Hurry in during Ram Truck Month and discover what it truly means to drive a truck that's built to serve. Ram Truck Month, going on now. And now, financing gets 7480 in total values on the 2023 Ram 1500 Bighorn Crew Cab. Don't miss this great offer. See your local Ram dealer today. Total values include combined cash allowance and 2980 Bighorn Level 2 package value. Financing for well-qualified buyers through Chrysler Capital. Not all buyers will qualify. Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 5-1-2023. Welcome to Women Winning Divorce. I am your host, Heather Quick. I'm an attorney, entrepreneur, author, and founder of Florida Women's Law Group, the only divorce firm for women by women. I love thinking big, thinking outside the box, creating creative solutions for women and empowering women to win in all aspects of their life. In each episode of this show, I will discuss how to navigate the divorce process, come out stronger and empowered on the other side. Welcome to Women Winning Divorce. Each week, we discuss issues including divorce, custody, alimony, paternity, narcissism, mediation, and other family law issues to provide insight on the journey of women winning divorce. I'm Heather Quick, owner and attorney at Florida Women's Law Group. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of being joined by Vanessa Vesquez de Lara, which I'm sure my pronunciation is not nearly as good as hers, <laughs> um, and the owner of Vesquez de Lara Law Group in Miami. Welcome, Vanessa. Thank you so much, Heather. It's great to be here. Well, we so appreciate it, you know, for the listeners, Vanessa is really not that far away in Miami, and we uh, we frequently refer clients back and forth because it is too far to travel um, from Northeast Florida to Miami for court cases on most times. So we've known each other for a while and fortunate to have her to refer women to that are needing assistance in family law and located within her region. Um Vanessa's firm is dedicated to assisting families with legal issues affecting them and their loved ones and family court. Vanessa, I'd love if you could tell our listeners a little bit about how you got into family law and, of course, most importantly, why you stay there. Sure. So I love being able to help people with their issues. I felt that in law school, I actually said that I wouldn't do criminal law or family law. (laughs) So I kind of stumbled into family law. Um, But once I got there, I realized that I could be really effective and that I really enjoyed being able to help people um, get out of their um, their family legal issues in the best way possible. So I do enjoy being able to um, kind of take them from that beginning of the journey where they tend to be kind of lost and not know what's going to happen. Um, being honest with them, you know, I, I do love to make sure that my clients understand the process and understand that just because they want something doesn't mean they're going to get it. And and then kind of seeing them at the end in order to be able to ensure that uh, they that they have arrived at wherever they want to arrive, whether that's a divorce, whether that's an equal time sharing schedule, whether whatever that might be, that they have arrived at you know the place that we we expected them to arrive at. And you know that's so important because it most most individuals that they've never been in the system with family law or have experience, they they really just don't know what they don't know. And they have certainly coming into it an expectation of what they want, which I find often is very different than the law. And those are hard (laughs) conversations to have, right? Absolutely. I do think that that, that's one of the things that I, I love to tell my clients, you don't know what you don't know. So that comes from people who sign agreements without talking to an attorney, and then you have to tell them how crappy their agreement is to 
people who think that, well, he rarely did anything, so I should get 100% custody. And you're like, that's not a thing. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. So, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's so different. And, and those are hard conversations, but so important because, um, like you said, it, it's such a process in family law from the time when we first meet them. They first are you know, at the firm towards the end. And through that is a lot of education and growth and hopefully, you know, for our clients to understand that this is how this process is going to impact you and the law based on your facts, you know, these are your options and they might not be the options you came in here wanting, but hopefully they're still getting you really close to where you want to be just within the confines of the law, because that is what we have to deal with in, in family law. Yeah, I think it's so important to really let clients know what they can expect, because it's always going to be where they don't quite understand that the, the law is the law, but then the law is interpreted by a judge, it's interpreted by the opposing counsel, it's interpreted by the other person on the other side, and you really have to kind of give them well, here's the baseline. Here's what I can tell you that you can expect, but that doesn't mean that a judge won't necessarily view that differently. I, I get clients that will send emails and say, well, can't you see what he's doing? I'll be like, well, I could see it through your lens, but your judge who might be older, younger, um, a different sex, a different um, sexual orientation may just not view this in the same exact way that you're viewing it. And that's that's really important. I think that not every uh, family attorney does that, but the good ones like you and I uh, <laughs> definitely do that. Well, and it is, and I think that's such a great discussion that, you know, I know we both have with our clients because I know, you know, we both hear stories and um, from my perspective, it's it's from the, the women and they're like, well, you know, telling me all of the reasons why the father and their husband you know, should not have more time maybe with their child. And, uh, you know, and then that's a hard conversation to say that I hear you and I know that upsets you, but through the lens of the court, they have seen the worst of the worst. And, yep. you know, there may be some parts of your, you know, spouse's behavior and some things that they've done that would be relevant, but the court's goal ultimately is to have the children with both of the parents as much as possible and re rehabilitate if, you know, there's substance abuse problems or issues and anger, you know, with the father, like, or the mother, but, you know, they're, they're there to get the kids back with each parent. And so I know that that is what they, you know, need to hear. And sometimes there are facts that I say, okay, I think that will sway the court. You know, we have to move in that direction, but the clients need to know really where they stand in their options and particularly about the judge you're in front of, which, you know, one of a wonderful judge used to practice here. He's passed away, um, used to say, you know, a, a good lawyer, you know, knows the law, a great lawyer knows the judge and not to get extra treatment or anything, but they know what they're going to do so we can prepare our clients like this judge. This is their, this is what they're going to ask you. This is how they tend to rule. You've got to be prepared for that, or we should settle out of court because you don't want to be in that situation. A hundred percent. I make that statement all the time to our clients because the reality is that you 
we we get especially in Miami we get so many people who dabble in family law and mm-hmm. who don't know their judges and you may be able to read the statute book but if you don't know what typically happens and if you don't know that that judge likes to schedule things in this manner and that judge likes to hear this type of evidence then you really are at a disadvantage and those clients are at a disadvantage because they they're not informed about listen that's great and all but your judge is going to be very prospective looking and they're not going to be very retroactive looking. So although to you, it's really big deal that the father never went to a doctor's appointment, never went to an open house at the school, never did all these things, the judge is going to be looking at, well, now that you're separated, now dad needs to do those things. And if he doesn't in the future, then, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a hard thing sometimes for the, for moms to, to really understand because they've been handling 95% of the family load, and they're thinking that dad can't handle it, but the court doesn't necessarily view it that way. They're just looking at it as, well, dad needs the opportunity to be able to, to do that. Yes, and that is that is really hard for, for many women to, to see and accept. I, um, I, I would have certainly been right there, um, you know, with them. I, I'm, I'm a very unreasonable person, you know, and see things the way I want to see it, right? But that's not what the law is based on. So I get it. You know, we understand. But it's also, and I think it really it ties well into our topic today, because when your identity is really tied into a lot of, you know, your children or who you are and what you do for the family, when that changes, it can be very difficult to see. Because it's just more than, it's not, I mean, I know you want to divorce him and he may or may not be a good father, great father, but I think it has more to do with their identity changing. And, you know, today we're talking about divorce and the female breadwinner, which I really love this topic because I'm a business owner, you're a business owner, you know, we would be like, and I represent women for years. And as much as men hate alimony, I mean, women are like, you have got to be kidding me that I am going to possibly have to pay alimony. And I hear you, right? I say the same thing. But again, I haven't written the law. And, um, you know, this is something that, I think is a great thing to talk about because so many women are business owners, executives, and and this keeps them from maybe making that decision moving forward on a divorce because their identity is not only in their professional life, but you know we're going to talk about it. Many times they do a lot at home too, and so then they really are just not seeing where how that's going to play out. Yeah, it's definitely something that I agree with you that when. When there is a lesser earning spouse, but not only a, a lesser earning male spouse, um, but also when that spouse has been, for lack of a better word, you know, not working or, or a lazy bum at the house, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they've been trying so hard to kind of do it all because women who are breadwinners tend to be uh, really high achievers in every area. They tend to be high achievers at work or in business. They tend to be high achievers at home trying to kind of that that myth of doing it all. And and when they have a partner that doesn't even contribute, you know, not necessarily financially, but just in the home, that they might not contribute, you know, in, in any good way, uh, that that becomes very difficult to really deal with that failure. And and I do think that sometimes that failure is allowed to sort of drag on and on because they can't, it almost feels like they they're sticking their heads in the sand. Like I can't be so high achieving on this end and be so badly achieving <laughs> at this relationship, marriage thing, at this picking a husband thing. And, you know, and the reality is that 
I think that sometimes they do last longer in those marriages because they they, they kind of can't, um, they don't feel that they can really handle uh, being able to finish that and kind of call it quits on, on that and, and move on. Yeah, and I see, um, and I was wondering, you know, if you've seen this, because I think, you know, when we look at what are the, you know, major issues, I, I think on one hand, um, I've heard, at least in my experience from from clients in the past, you know, he tells them, well, I'm going to, you know, have the children. I will take the kids, which, as we know, I, I, I know you've heard that a lot. I hear it a lot. It's like, and that's just doesn't happen, right? That's like the archaic, like, 60s, 70s, probably, right? I mean, it was a little bit like that when I first started practicing law too many years ago, uh, now, <laughs> 23 years ago. But no, it's not. Like, it's just not like that anymore. No matter which side, you know, they're not, there isn't only every other weekend and a dinner night. Like that just, it, I know some people it works for them, for the dad, but right. it just doesn't happen that often. Does it happen that often in Miami? Cause it's not like that up here. Not at all. I mean, what I, what I like to tell my clients is that time sharing is going to be determined, you know, on the best interest of the child. But the reality is that the trend, it's not the law, but the trend is equal. And you really yeah. have to be able to demonstrate to the court why that should not be your case. So while before it might have been having to demonstrate why equal is best, now it's almost like turn the pendulum has swung where you're trying to show why equal would not be best for the children because it has become sort of very ingrained, at least down here in Miami-Dade and Broward, where, where equal kind of becomes something that is definitely not automatic. And I do think that our judges are still reviewing the factors but it's that that's kind of where the where the conversation starts as opposed to where the conversation ends. I agree. And it's the same, it's you know, again, knowing the judges, because within the various counties that we cover, it it varies. It it can be quite different uh from the standpoint of some judges, even really before there was more of a shift, were all tended to be more pro-dad. If dad comes in and just says, oh, I want to do this. They think he's Superman and they're like, whatever, right? And the poor <laughs> woman's sitting there like, are you kidding me? Like, he's never done anything. But um, it is true. And that's just my point of view. But I think also now we do see that compared to 20 years ago, more husbands and fathers are involved more because more women are working and they're like, they can't, you can't really do it all. And, and some try as we, as you talked about, but um, you know, they, they're, they seem to be more interactive with the children. I think that women require that now more, you know, um, you know, within, well, I'm older than you, but our generation and working with me, they're like, yeah, you, you know, it's not just a one person show here. Um, and, I like, you know, but, I like to say that it's, you can do it all. You just can't do it all at the same time. And I that's think right. And then it breeds resentment because if you do try to do it all, um, you, it's, it wears you out, right? So something has to suffer and something has to give and, and you get frustrated, right? If your um, husband is not going to do his part in cleaning and the children and childcare or earning, that's when I think they're like, that's when we see them. They're like, what is he doing here? It's like another trial and I might as well get rid of them. And I would say so. Um, and I think men don't know really how to evolve in that some do and they are very successful and then we don't see them right in our offices the women and men but um you know i think that when you know we look at what even women who are the breadwinner and worker they still 
they still carry a lot of the load at home and with the children. Agree. 100% agree. And, um, you know, and I think that's where we see often that women are, they get tired of that, right? They're like, hey, I am, I, we had the kids, I did that, I went back to work, now I'm really being quite successful at work or in my business and kind of what are you doing, you know? And I think that's the difference with women versus men if they're the breadwinner and the woman is staying home, she just does everything. And, and it's not, it's just different still, I think. Um, a part, a part of like, you know, hey, I've got everything with the school covered and all the kids and the house and entertaining. And it's, you know, when men and women are different, it's very unlikely that a stay-at-home dad can really fulfill that to the extent that a woman can, from my perspective. <laughs> I mean, I, I would agree that the cases that we've had where where the moms or, or the wives tend to be the, the breadwinners, that, you know, that, that there's been kind of a, uh, a little bit of a of a shift, and there have been some that are managing many of the things at home, but there's also the ones that aren't, and it's for whatever reason the wife has not felt sufficiently able to kind of walk away and be able to say I could do better by myself. So, mm -hmm. well, and it is. I think that's what makes it really interesting because you know a lot of women's identity. It is with their children and as a mother. And so they feel like, hey, I, how do I do both without support? And, you know, how do we make that work? But um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, um, I really want to talk about the financial aspect of the female breadwinner and, and really like the different evaluations that come into play when we're talking about alimony. So we'll be right back. We are back and talking today about women who are the breadwinner and then what happens with the divorce. Um, I don't think I defined it in the first um, segment, but we define, or I guess the research defines the female breadwinner or a breadwinner as earning more than, you know, 60% of the income. And so that's what we're looking at here. And I know that there are just some unique concerns for women who are really carrying the load of the financial responsibility for the family and then considering divorce that are just different from men. Um, would you agree, Vanessa? A hundred percent. I mean, like we were talking before the break, the reality is that women breadwinners tend to be the breadwinners, but they also tend to carry an oversized load at home. And that's what, what I've seen. And, and I, I don't know if that's what you've seen as well. I have, and then I think that's what leads them to our office, but yet they still do have concerns. And, you know, one of the biggest ones, alimony. And I think that, you know, I think a good example is, you know, you're the breadwinner because you're making more. So let's say you're the lawyer, the doctor, the business owner, and your husband is maybe works part-time or let's say a school teacher because there are a lot of men who do that, but yet there's going to be a big disparity in the income so they do work and they're able to work it's just not at you know they don't have that same earning potential um at at the time they come to us and i think that you know we talk about alimony we look at that and it it's a tough pill to swallow uh for anybody uh i think more so for women in, in my opinion but that's because i talk to more of them i know men don't like it either but you know one of the things that i 
frequently talk to clients about is that, well, it's yes, you have the ability because you're earning more, but where is their need? And, and that's a big part of the evaluation in Florida law. And, you know, tell me a little bit about that conversation you have and that's some things that you look at. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, the conversation is always going to start at figuring out what's everybody's budget, what's everybody's, you know, ability to pay, what's everybody's need. And that that's always the conversation, regardless of whether the, the woman is the breadwinner or is a stay-at-home mom, is trying to figure out what is the family's lifestyle in order to be able to calculate what, what the ability is. Because the reality is that 60% to 40% is not necessarily such a big difference that once you're actually looking at separate homes and separate expenses and separate everything, alimony eventually doesn't necessarily come into play. We see that a lot where these people were potentially living beyond their means when they were together. And definitely once they separate, they are still, probably still gonna be living beyond their means, but it definitely means that there may not, there, there may simply not be an ability to be able to really support the other person. And whenever you now with our, our our legislature continuously threatening us with alimony reform and and changing what that looks like, that 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 always now has to become a a conversation topic with our clients about well, this is where we are today. This may not be where we are tomorrow. But I find that besides the money and the alimony and the the potential concerns with respect to that, that looking at retirement that looking at pensions, that looking at things that that really are something that when you've had a, a long-term marriage that you, you've accumulated quite a bit and it becomes a conversation of, well, but he didn't help. He didn't, he didn't contribute. I did this by myself. And the reality is that we have to have the same conversation with her as we usually do with him, which is, well, but you allowed this. You you allowed them to go back to school for five years during your marriage. You allowed them to not get that better job. You allowed them, or you asked for them to stay home. You know, because one of you had to be more available to the kids, and and those decisions now have have to come into play when that calculation is being done about alimony or or dividing all those assets. Yes, I agree with you on the asset division, particularly, you know, the retirement. We both heard that. Well, that's mine. I worked for it. It's like, I understand. But depending on the length of the marriage, and many times it, these are when we're having the conversations because the marriage is longer in duration. And so then there's more to discuss more in retirement, but it's marital. And that, that's a tough, a tough one to take for sure. But what I, you know, from both sides, because when I'm talking, of course, with the uh, client who's the breadwinner, I let them know, you know, we talk about it. And part of that, you know, hard truth or just the reality is you're going to recoup it, you know, depending on where your age is and your level, like you need to know you're going to recoup it because this is the most he's ever going to get. And similarly, on the on the flip side, when our client, you know, and I'm talking to them and the husband's retirement. It's like, you got to get as much as you possibly can because you'll never be able to create that on your own if you don't have that level of income now and job. So that's why that's so important because especially for executives in their 40s, 50s, they're gonna, they're just gonna recoup that. It hurts, it does, but I always tell them it's gonna hurt worse in another 10 years. So, you know, if you're in here 10 years from now, 
you're going to be mad at yourself. And I'm not telling you to do it now or then, but just recognize the reality. And Florida's no fault. So just because you're like, well, I'm not going to do that because of it. That doesn't mean your spouse isn't going to decide they're tired of the relationship and maybe understand where they'll be financially after and say, hey, I want a divorce. So it it's at least worth talking about. And it is a tough discussion on on those financials. I like to tell my clients, especially the business owners, that the reality is that this is who you are. You are somebody who creates out of nothing, who creates businesses, who creates income. And the reality is that the longer you're bogged down in the stress of the divorce, the, it, it affects your, your mental health, but it also affects your ability to keep creating, to keep innovating, to keep going in your business. And so even though it's, it's painful, it's like ripping off the bandaid, you, gotta, you, you really have to try to make sure that you are trying to resolve your case as quickly as possible, because otherwise you're not only spending you know, money on the attorneys, you're not only spending money potentially on temporary support that may not necessarily help you in the long run because you know, it, it's only during the case, but you're also affecting your businesses because you're not paying the attention that they need. And exactly like you said, you're going to build it back up. So if you can you know, quickly resolve your divorce, with maybe something more than what the other person wants, but you kind of cut, cut and start over, that wasted time and wasted emotional energy that you're spending on your divorce could really be spent figuring out what's my next big idea, what's my next business thing, what's my next, uh, you know, whatever. Exactly, because of the energy. And it's thinking in terms of, you know, it's very difficult to quantify um, your happiness and, and with money and, it, and, you know, you see that, but really at the end of the day, it's like, look, you are going to get your freedom. You're in a relationship that's not serving you or them. And therefore, don't you think that it's worth it in the long run? Of course, that's their decision, but it's such a good way to, like you said, you know, really Take that, take a good look at what, how is this affecting you right now? And if you could stop it, think of how much more you can create, how much better you can be with your business or, and, you know, your patients, if you're a doctor, whatever it is you're doing, this is taking from you energy that you could be putting into something that would be more creative. Peace has a value. That's just the reality that, that peace within your home, within your family, within your business. It has a value, and the quicker people realize that, I think that you know the the better off their case will be. Because the reality is that sort of falling into the trap of well, but they're not being reasonable and they're not doing this. And I like to tell my clients, you you have to sometimes give the rope to the other side to hang themselves. You have to be generous and then kind of you know take it back if it doesn't work. But but if you are constantly thinking, well, they've never done anything, they're never going to do anything, they. The kids don't even like them. Like, come on, <laughs> like, let's let's get real. Let's let's look at it from the perspective of what the court is probably going to do, and and try to get it resolved. And if you if it if you resolve it and it doesn't work, you know what? The courts allow us to go back in on modifications when things don't work. It's obviously that's not optimal, and you want to assume that you know that it will work out. But but I tell my clients that all the time that peace has a value, and sometimes that value is monetary, and it's buying out. You know, that husband that unfortunately didn't want to, you know, get a job when they're living off of you. Mm -hmm. 
It's true. And it's really, and seeing that for what it is and then, and then accepting, right? Because a lot of times when in a, any type of divorce, there is just this regret, like, why didn't I do this earlier? I allowed this to go on. And that's true. But many times we just, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't painful enough and you, it's easier to ignore. Like, that's just the reality. Sometimes those things are easier to focus on something else rather than deal with the personal part of it. And, you know, we talked a little bit about businesses and I think it's good for women, breadwinners to know, you know, yes, depending, I mean, on the type of business, there may be evaluation of that. And that's something to be scared of. Um, You know, just really depends on what side you're looking at from the business, but, you know, the personal services business, you know, the, the law firms or even the doctor's practice, dental practice, accounting firm, you know, many times it's so reliant on you that that evaluation isn't going to produce as much as maybe the other side thinks that they might be entitled to like a piece of your business. I mean, that's just an example, but I know people get really concerned about that. And they, you know, we have to talk about it for sure. Yeah, I mean, the reality is that just because something produces good income doesn't mean that the business itself has a big value. Because yeah, you're right. There's a lot of there's a lot of businesses that are centered on the owner, and without the owner, the value just you know it it, it really isn't there. And the court isn't going to take your business. The 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 court isn't in the business of taking successful businesses and then tearing them down in a divorce. They really are going to allow that business to flourish. But at the same time, you want to be honest with your attorney about what that business is paying for, what that business is doing in order for us to be able to better protect you. But it really is something that they do worry a lot about, about business valuations and, and what that looks like and, and potentially what, uh, what, what, what that would cause in the disruption to the business, et cetera. But the reality is that it's, it's never as scary as, as what, unfortunately, our clients think it's going to be like. And and that's something that that through good coaching and good good advocacy from attorneys like you and I, we can definitely make sure that that, that, that they come out on the other end kind of in a in a better place. Absolutely, I agree. Because it is, it's always scarier, the unknown in the scenarios, you know, that they'll play in their head before maybe actually talking to an attorney and understanding uh, what that's gonna look like. And, um, you know, I want to talk a bit on the alimony a little bit again because of the remarrying factor, right? Um, You know, statistics show that men tend to remarry much faster than women um, statistically. And so not that not that I use that for, um, you know, in negotiation because, you know, they may never remarry. but at least it's something to consider um, because you, obviously you remarry or, you know, live with somebody, uh, you know, the alimony could be terminated. And um, I know that especially men who are paying alimony, boy, they get remarried so fast. My clients come back and tell us like they're already remarried. Like, <laughs> did they learn anything? But I don't know. <laughs> what do you see about us up? No, I agree that that it is something that it's surprising how quickly <laughs> uh, many of the guys remarry. But but it's definitely something to consider when 
when you're having that conversation, right? To be able to kind of give them that hope for the future, hope that this is not going to be something that that is going to be permanent. Even in long-term marriages, I, I am rarely seeing permanent alimony anymore. It's really something that we're, we're agreeing to much, we're either agreeing or the courts are entering much shorter length alimony, a durational, that's maybe half the length of the marriage to the full length of the marriage. But the reality is that that people do move on quickly and, and people do, especially the younger they are, I feel that they, they tend to make those, pick up those new relationships a little quicker when the kids are, are younger, they, they tend to kind of move on. And, and that, that's a, that's a popular one in our office when the girlfriends are calling as opposed to our, our male clients. And that kind of becomes a little bit like, like what you said, did you not learn anything? (laughs) (laughs) But, but it is something that if we don't build in some sort of maximum alimony into into our agreements, that's definitely something to to give the clients hope. It's that if they couldn't do this, you know, with you, they're probably not going to be able to do it without somebody. And so mm-hmm. that's that's probably going to be something that that allows for for that hope of you know kind of moving that moving them off those payments sooner rather than later. Agreed. And I think, like you said earlier, you know, with the right advice and advocacy, you know, from your attorney and then us really like evaluating options, you don't necessarily have to agree to permanent, right? There's so many other ways to get there, hopefully, and settle it um, rather than that long-term forever idea of alimony. But um, when we return, we're ready for a small break. And then we're going to talk about, hey, ways to prepare yourself and some things to think about for our women breadwinners. Be right back. Well, as we wrap up the show today, we've been talking with Vanessa Vesquez Delara, um, an attorney in Miami, and on a great topic, which is divorce when we have the women breadwinners and, um, you know, some considerations for them that are different and then men, at least from my perspective, because we only represent women. Um, but we're really just talking about ideas as we wrap up some ways maybe women can protect themselves, even though they're already married, right? I mean, we know a prenup is the best way to go before you get married, right? <laughs> best, best, best. Prenups or, or postnuptial agreement is definitely the best protection. Yes. And unfortunately, usually when they come to my office, they're like, yes, I know I should have gotten like, okay, well, we're not there now. So let's talk about a postnuptial um, agreement. And because um, we, we've done our fair share of those throughout the years. And I, I don't think most people really have ever heard of that or understand what that is. If you want to share with us, Vanessa. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that a postnuptial agreement is a great tool, especially when the couple is having issues and maybe they're thinking of trying counseling or trying other things, it's it's a way of kind of leveling the playing field of trust, I find. And and typically when when we get people that come in that are talking to us about it versus us talking to them about it, it's because maybe there's been an affair or there's been a, a breach of trust. So this kind of helps everybody to feel, okay, well, I'm not gonna get screwed. They're not just preparing to get a divorce. They they are going to, you're gonna try to negotiate while everybody sort of is still feeling like our marriage is worth working on. Our marriage is something that we want to make sure that that we can save. And having that postnuptial agreement is so similar to a prenup, where you're basically 
sharing with each other exactly the financials if for whatever reason they they haven't been shared during the marriage but then making those agreements as to what's going to happen with your assets with your debts with your alimony and all of that is something that can really put everybody on a very what i like to say a very comfortable playing field because now while you are getting along while you still love each other while everything is is trying to be headed in a positive direction you are coming to that agreement as opposed to once the divorce litigation starts nobody's on the same team everybody's trying to you know it, it becomes a who can get a bigger piece of the pie as opposed to what's a fair way to to split up the pie I agree. And um, because, like you said, I see it definitely when there's been a breach of trust, because I've talked with many women and um, they'll bring it up. And I'm like, well, what's in it for him? Why is he going to sign it? And then they're like, oh, yeah, I, I don't know if he will. And I'm like, right. Like, there has to be a reason. I was like, we can draft it, but you have to have that conversation. They have to be motivated as well to be working on the marriage and working and saying, you know what? Hey, Let's remove what could be in the event of a divorce, agree to that, show that we're willing to work on the marriage, and then hopefully put that away in a drawer and then focus on that. But then you don't feel as though you're really getting taken advantage of by working on the marriage and still at risk for, you know, what's going to happen with the assets, the debts, and, and usually mostly alimony, because that tends to be the most variable. Um, in, in the marriage, and I, um, I really think that obviously, if you don't have the willingness or ability to look at a prenup, when the facts present themselves for a post number, when your situation does, you really have an opportunity to script out your divorce, which I don't think is really that terrible thing because it's basically your financial future at that point. because. Right. You know, just for our listeners, we can't put in a post up who's going to have the children and all of those things because that's within the court's purview. You can't negotiate that out of in a post up. But what you can do is really say, you know what, let's agree what this would look like financially for us rather than relying on the courts and, and the law of your state here, in Florida. You know, I mean, that's where I think people miss that um, understanding that if you have the ability within the confines, as we know, is what, you know, that we can and can't put in a prenup or postnup, but you can direct that versus being subject to the laws of Florida or wherever you happen to be at the time of the divorce. Um, and that's what leaves people like concerned, right? Because like, it's just, like you said, like, you know, we know, I think it's been going on over 10 years now, but boy, it gets ramped up on the alimony thing when it does in Florida. And and, and that law changes, and that's going to affect a lot of people, and some positively, some negatively. So when you have a prenup or postnup, you have the ability to take your specific situation and, and determine where that's going to be. You know, I mean, we've had um, very large uh, business owners that are trying to make sure that everybody's on the same page, to people who are like, well, I'm going to sign it no matter what. And I'm like, Okay, but let me educate you. <laughs> let me make sure that you understand. And and unfortunately, it, it, in our practice, it's still a lot more common to get the women being the lesser owners kind of coming in with those prenups or postnups. And what I try to do, I know that they're probably going to sign it anyways. But what I try to do is make sure, listen, 
It's a, think of me kind of almost like your older sister giving you this advice that you want to be thinking of in the future. You know, if you decide to have children and stay home, guess what? Your, you know, your retirement's no longer growing. Your, your income base is no longer growing. And that might be a time to renegotiate your agreement. You know, like you, I, I try to give them the advice of making sure that, that they're at least thinking about some of the issues because there's, we've seen issues where it's not even a divorce that causes a problem, but a death. And somebody who may not realize that they've given up all of their inheritance rights in a prenup or a postnup, and all of a sudden the person dies and there wasn't any trouble in the marriage, but now they're about to be homeless in, you know, 30 to 60 days because that property maybe belonged to their partner. You know, that that's really something that I try to encourage our clients to, to, to be cognizant of what they're doing to make sure that they understand that they, they're giving something up and that they need to make sure that at some point they may need to reevaluate that or simply be able to renegotiate and come back to the table and say, you know, dear wife or dear husband, I, I, I think that this was great when we got married, but at this point we've created something that I feel needs to be addressed and, you know, and have those renegotiations. Yeah, I I completely agree with you because, you know, so much can happen, certainly through a marriage. And I think we see more often, um, certainly if it's somebody's second marriage or a little later in life and they, they both have children, it really makes a lot of sense to do a prenup. But you certainly, as we've both seen the ones that are so one-sided, you don't have to give up everything. Yeah. And it should be. It should be equal, you know, at least like not where, hey, I keep all my stuff, you get nothing. And and the sad thing is you could be married 20 years and then now something's going on and you really are like, oh, my gosh, I didn't expect that to happen. But I think it's really important, you know, for when you have children from a prior marriage, you've worked, you've got certain things and that's important to you. Some, um, I've heard people say, oh, well, we are just going to go do our will. And they don't understand that you can change that. Like, you sign a prenup, you sign a post-up, that is a contract between the two of you. Your husband or you can go change your will anytime you want. And that, now, of course, there's some protection uh, for the spouse in Florida. But, again, it's just they're not really thinking, because they don't know. Like, you don't understand that it's not the same, right? <laughs> You don't know what you don't know. And that's what we try to, you know, whether they keep it in mind or not, I like to think that they do. But you really don't know that if you are giving up your inheritance, if you're agreeing that he doesn't have to even have life insurance to take care of you, if you're agreeing to, you know, all of these things, that sometimes it's not even a purposeful decision that causes the problem. But sometimes it's it's unfortunately an unintended um, situation where somebody may pass away. And then, and that's so sad. Once again, for for both of us who built businesses around helping people, and it's it's the worst when to me when somebody comes in, it's like we really can't help you. Like you got yourself in a situation that legally there isn't, you know, that way around it. We can't change that for you um, just because you didn't know at the time, and you really you know, were just naive or didn't think that it would be worth it for you to go educate yourself on what you were signing or what those implications would be. For sure. For and sure. I think we both know sometimes people um, do do that anyway, even when we do tell them. And that's okay. At least you know. And then now don't be crying later that, oh, I had no idea. You did know. And you just made that 
that choice doesn't make, make that feel any better, right? When it ends badly, but um, I had a, I had a case many many years ago when I worked at a firm where it was a doctor and he got divorced, and then he came back. Oh, I'm, I need a second divorce, and we're like, but you got cleaned out the first time. <laughs> you, you didn't do a prenup. And then he came back a third time. And then he came back a third time. <laughs> no with no freedom. Um, you know, and and so we definitely do with our with our clients and, and and you know your clients, which ones are kind of a little bit more you 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 build that more uh that that more personal relationship. But I've been known to tell clients like, I, I better see you in here for a prenup before <laughs> before you get married again. So it, it is something that surprisingly it, it's still not as common as I would think that that they are, although we are seeing a lot more of them. So I, I think maybe people are getting the message. It, it it's gonna save you so much time and energy and money down the road. And I guess, you know, people just don't know, well, if we enter into marriage with nothing and we're young, you know, it's hard for, for people to really understand. And I, I do understand that, but we can put in contingencies, like you said, you know, yeah, you're both young, you're both working, but it's really when one person stays home and it tends to be women more often, yep. or at least they say they, they leave the workforce for a period of time because they are the ones that have to have the children, right? So that impacts it. And, you know, when you think about that, it's worthwhile to think about, well, how will that um, look on the other side? Because, of course, at the time of divorce, you know, all those agreements that you guys made back in the day go out the door, right? And now the law applies. And and especially with especially with with women business owners, the reality is that a lot of their spouses end up coming into the business. So when you have an agreement that is able to take that into consideration, then that can really make almost like a it it should be business continuity, business continuity planning for if we were to get a divorce, what is my spouse going to do? Because you're not going to want them in your business, and that's hard. I think sometimes for business owners to think about and to plan for that future, that potential future, but it's certainly something that that should be considered by business owners and especially women business owners. Agreed, because then they feel trapped. You 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 can absolutely feel trapped if you're like they're in here and they do a lot, right? And they are, because you would hope if, if they're working in the business, they're you know helping you with it, know so much about it, and that. That makes you fearful. Like, is this business not going to survive a divorce? And you certainly don't want that to happen um, at all. But it's a, it, it's a definitely, I think, a real concern um, and something that you can certainly, you can't prevent, but you can set things up so well that you can protect the business to continue running because if it provides income to both of you, really, that's what everybody wants. Um, and and then move on. But you know, before we go, Vanessa, I always ask my guests this question, um, and I'd like to know for our listeners, uh, can if you can impart, um, you know, to them anything you've learned about divorce and representing women throughout your career. So really, the the what I love to tell my women clients is don't self sacrifice, don't make it to. To, to the extent where you are sacrificing yourself for your spouse, your husband, or for your children, because the reality is that if you end up getting a divorce, you've now sort of 
sacrifice yourself almost to death. And, and I see that so often, especially in litigation where the women are quick to give up money. They're quick to give up many things in order to be able to get what they're looking for with, with the kids, but they almost like, don't think it through. And I'm like, I, I want to make sure that you don't come back to me in a year, you know, telling me how financially strapped you are because you gave up the things you were entitled to because you wanted to, or you felt that you could do a better job with the kids. Kids are resilient and they're in the situation regardless. So you really have to make sure that, that you are, you know, making sure that you're making yourself a priority during the, the, during the divorce before, during the divorce and definitely afterwards. I appreciate that so much because that is one of the things I've always, I have found and certainly when we began, you know, we transitioned the practice to represent women only is that they, they just undervalue themselves, what they bring to the table and they are quicker to set a lead when they're so close to the end, it's worth it if they feel that they have the strength to stand up for what they are entitled to and for what they're really going to need in their future versus that sure. short-term thinking. So uh, I really appreciate that. And we've reached the end of our show. But Vanessa, thank you again so much for being with us today and sharing your experience and knowledge with our listeners. Thank you and so much for having me. Absolutely. And for our guests, you can find out more about Vanessa, certainly in the show notes, but also at familylawprotection.com. And we will have all of those links available for you so that if you are in the Miami-Dade, Broward area and need uh, assistance with your family law issues, please reach out to Vanessa. Or if you're trying to reach her, reach out to us and we will make sure that we connect. Thanks, Heather. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Women Winning Divorce. If you or someone you know is looking for answers regarding divorce, reach out to us at floridawomenslawgroup.com and also join the conversation on social at Women Winning Divorce. Women Winning Divorce is the place for an elevated conversation on how women can thrive during times of adversity in order to live their best life. This podcast is brought to you by Square. When you run a restaurant, nobody cares how good you were yesterday. From walk-ins to takeout, payroll to profit margins, the only thing that's consistent is the inconsistency. That's why with Square, you get reliable restaurant technology that helps you stay a step ahead, no matter what the future cooks up. Square's restaurant tools are designed to keep your orders flowing and business growing. Start with what you need today and adjust as you go. Visit square.com audiology and get 20% off your first hardware device with code AUDIO20 at checkout.